Amen. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Willow Park Church this morning. We're glad that you've joined us on this beautiful July weekend. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, and are you enjoying the weather? Yes. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, the weather is, is remarkable and, um, and is, is, is glorious. Well, uh, we've had a week off from our camps. Our garden had a week off. The ark had a week off. But do be praying as they step into the next series of camps. Praying that God will move and God will work. I think, uh, you know, we've seen something in the region of uh, 180 first-time decisions for Christ that I've heard across the, um, um, uh, through Garden Lake and through the Ark and the different places. So it's been absolutely fantastic. If you're joining us, we're on a journey through the book of John. And as we make our way through different portions of John, we've been working our way, um, looking at the final moments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is very good at this moment because the ushers are taking up the offering. And... And I got up here and I, last thing I said to Pastor Steve was, did you take the offering? And he goes, no. And I go, oh, I'll do it. And then I got up here. The the step between here and here, I think I must um, enter a kind of um, vortex that takes away all of my memory. Uh, So... um, so do give, give generously all the ministry that God is doing and working. There are many ways to give, uh, but do uh, thank you so much, ushers, for, for leading the charge. It's good. Well, I have to apologize for English politics as well while I'm here. Uh, I'll leave that there. Um, so... Um, We've been working our way and thinking about the book of of John. Last week, I challenged a very challenging scripture about when Jesus was at the table in the upper room. And as he was at the table, he got down from the table, took off his outer garment. And as he took off his outer garment, he then took hold of the towel, wrapped the towel around his waist, got down and washed the feet of his disciples. And then at the end, the passage said, he returned to his place. And very much I wanted to link that with the whole idea that uh, you may see those small verses, but there is a grander story there that the Lord Jesus Christ himself came down from glory, taking off the garments of his divinity and his Godship came down into this world, and as he came down into this world, he chose to take hold of the towel that the Lord had given him and to pour his life out into the lives of lepers, into the lives of the poor, into the lives of the weary, into the lives of those that were broken, to those that were were smashed by society. He chose to pour out his life, and at the very end, he was nailed to the cross and was poured out for every one of us. And and then having washed their feet, he then returned to his place. And today, having achieved all that he did by coming to this world and taking off his garment, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He is in glory. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Lion of the tribe of of Judah. He is our good shepherd. He is our rock. He is our deliverer. Amen? Amen? He's gone through that process. 
And I have to be willing to say, am I a man of love? And Jesus then said, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. Then as I have done this as an example, now you do this as an example. You are the ones now that step down. You are the ones that now have to be willing to, um, to engage and to step down and to be able to take hold of the towel that God has given you and the towel that is, that is there present and then minister to others. So I want to carry on with this journey and talk about the radical love. There are two kinds of love in the next passage that we're going to deal with in chapter 13 and verse um, Verses 18 through to 35. There is the demonstration of love and there is the demand of love that comes in these scriptures. And unbelievably, Jesus Christ is going to to demonstrate his love to them. But he demonstrates the love of Jesus in the most amazing way. He demonstrates it by the love that he shows towards Judas. And when we think about Judas, often we do not think about what Judas uh, engaged in and what Judas did. Now, I've got a popping going on here. Shall I change this out to the hand mic? Yes, I'm getting the nod here. It must be... This is going to be a good sermon. It's already... Things have gone wrong. That's good. There's a bit of puffing now. Now I feel like a comedian. Welcome, Canada. <laughs> um, but he was willing and to reach out to Judas in the most remarkable way. So when we pick up the story in chapter 13, verse 18, he says, I am not referring to all of you. I know that those I have chosen... But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Why would Judas turn against Jesus? Why would Judas do this? Why would he be involved in this moment? Why would this take place in this way? Uh, Why? Maybe Judas himself, um, there's a little verse uh, towards the end of this passage that said it was night time. There's a real darkness coming into this passage at this moment. There's a real darkness that is descending. Maybe Judas was disappointed because um, life didn't work out the way that it did. Maybe he had a broken relationship, broken marriage, broken problems, family difficulties, and he was disappointed. Maybe Judas himself uh, experienced um, a, a business that went bankrupt. Maybe something had gone wrong that made him this very way. Maybe Judas himself had, uh, had been bullied in life and experienced a kind of uh, a bullying that had produced this, this, this ability to betray. We don't know. Maybe just life itself was, was, it was just pressing down on him and was just so difficult and so hard and, and for him. We don't know why. But what we do know is that Jesus turns around and he quotes Psalm 41 verse 9. And in Psalm 41 verse 9, it's talking about one of David's best friends who turned around and betrayed David. 
by the heel of his foot. Even, it says in verse 9, my best friend who I dipped bread with, he betrayed me. And Jesus is aware that Judas is about to betray him. And yet, even in the face of this kind of betrayal and this kind of pain, Jesus communicates, and you may not realize this, and I'll show you this in this passage, he demonstrates absolute love towards Judas. Often we think about Judas as this, this character that, had, that was sort of destined to do this, and yet here in the scripture we see that Jesus all the time was reaching out to him, was, was, was reaching out in love, was communicating. And the first communication here was that he quotes a well-known psalm about David being betrayed by a close friend. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, Judas, I know what's going on. And remember the story of David when his friend betrayed him. I know what you are about to do. And really, really, what is happening here? Turn against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts, whoever accepts anyone I sent accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in the spirit and testified. Now notice again this little phrase, he was troubled in his spirit. If you've been tracking with us in this series, you will know that in chapter 11, we have this phrase, when Jesus was troubled in spirit, because he saw Mary and Martha. And this very phrase is that kind of inner earthquake. It comes from the Greek, where suddenly within himself, he is, it actually describes a horse, that a horse neighs, and it comes from the very and when it neighs and shakes, its whole body shakes. And when Jesus saw Mary and Martha weeping and crying and seeing the pain of the mourners at Lazarus's funeral, he shook from within. We then see in chapter 12 that he was troubled as he was moving towards the cross, and he was coming to the terms that he would have to step into darkness, be separated from the Father, and would experience he, the infinite Lord, was going to be big enough to deal with the problem of sin in the world. And there we have that phrase again, he was troubled in spirit. So he's troubled about the pain of his friends. He's troubled about the journey that is going on to the point that his whole body is shaking. And suddenly he's troubled in spirit. But why is he troubled in spirit? Because Judas, his friend, is going to betray him. You see, he cares for Judas. He loves Judas. And even in these final moments, he's reaching out to kind of to bless Judas, to reach out to him. He knows Satan has prompted him, but he knows that as he says to him, he's indicating to him, and this bothers him, this troubles him. Why is Judas going to betray me at this moment? And he's troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. 
His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Now, just look at this scene. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at loss. None of them knew who it was. It's like you've got the 12 disciples and they're all looking at each other going, who? Who? The disciples had not got a clue who was going to betray Jesus. They hadn't picked up any signs. Now this is incredible. I mean, there is, there is Peter looking and he's looking around going, who? Not me. There's Andrew. No way. There's James. It can't be me. Uh, It's not me. There's Bartholomew. Well, definitely not me. There's Matthew. No way. There's Philip in an English accent. No, of course not. There's there's Thomas there. No, man. Never, never will it be me. There's Jude there. No chance. There's James the Lesser because it was James the One, James the Lesser. James the Lesser is like, no, not me. And then there's... Then, then there's, of course, uh, Simon, and there's Judas. And they all looked at each other, and they're all going, I don't know, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And Judas is brilliant, because Judas is joining in. Judas is going, who is it? He's winning an Oscar in acting. He is reading San Lasaski, method ask, uh, acting. He is, he is brilliant. He's, he's amazing. He's joining in. They don't have a clue. And this is quite a skill, right? Husbands, you know this. <laughs> because you know that it only takes an eyebrow to move of your wife and you could write 15 pages about what she's saying. Maybe that's not how you guys roll. But my wife can just look at me and go, and I know, oh, I'm in trouble with this, 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 and this. I need to do this. It's about time I got the garden done. It's time to weed. It's time to do this. And she only raised her one eyebrow. She raises two at the same time. I'm I'm doomed. Um, (laughs) Nobody picked up on any of the tells. Nobody picked up on what was happening. He was acting. He was playing. He, nobody knew because if they had worked it out, suddenly a fight and an argument would have broken out instantly. I mean, already Peter is packing a sword, right? So there would have been this, this fight, but none of them. There was no tells. You know what tells are? There's little things that they, you know, they say that when somebody, you know, um, walks in, puts their... Uh, uh, their um, hands behind their head, leans back. You know, they're telling you that they're in control and that they're there. Have you ever seen anybody do that? It's like, I've got it sorted. You know, I tell women don't do that. Have you ever seen a woman do that? It's weird. Um, women always... Know, if they're like taking dominance, they say tells are like they push their hair up and it's their mane. Well, I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> That's a tell. If, if you say something to somebody that uses in poker, apparently, not that I play poker, 
but I've read a book on towels. That when somebody talking to you and they touch their face, it means that this hurts them or it makes them sad. It's this towels. There was no towel here. No towel at all. Who? 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 Surely it can't be. But Jesus knew who. And even though the disciples had no idea, and even though Judas was able to carry off the play acting, he was able to fake it. Judas came from a different part. He didn't come from Galilee. He had a better address. Whereas the, the disciples, many of them came from Galilee, he came from a better address. Some theologians have said, you know, he was from Madison Avenue and they were from wherever. They were from the wrong side of town. They've said, you know, he would have worn the designer suits. He would have driven the right car. He would have been this kind of individual. He was trusted. He knew the words to every hymn. He knew all the spiritual cliches. He obviously had the ability to be able to say the right thing in the right place. And there he is, mouthing, joining in play acting, pretending. The disciples do not know, but one person knows that he's faking it to making it, and that is Jesus Christ. And the worst place any individual can find themselves in in their life when they lose integrity, vulnerability, and a openness to be transparent. When you and I become dualistic in our lives and we hide a deep, dark inner life, then it's that that will trip us up. It creates doors for Satan to enter in. When we are not being true, but we are being fake, this is dangerous in our spiritual life. And Judas is experiencing this. But even though he's being fake, even though he's mouthing the right things, even though he's joining in, Jesus Christ still loves him. And maybe that's hard for you to understand, but God's love is ever-reaching, ever-going. God's love is there. Jesus loves him. How do I know that Jesus is loving Judas? I want to make five points. Five points. Number one, throughout this whole chapter 13, there has been very subtle, very clear communication by Jesus to Judas saying, think again. I know what's going on. The rest have no idea, but I know what is going on. Number one, chapter 13, verse 10, he says, if we've had a bath and you're all clean, but not all of you are clean. Saying, I am aware that some of you are not clean. One of you is not clean. And I'm saying this so that you know that I know and so that you can, so I can reach you. Number two. By quoting Psalm 41 verse 9 and by making that statement and saying, even my best friend dips the bread, the story of the betrayer of 
David, who later goes out and hangs himself in the story. He's also communicating his love and demonstrating, even though you're going to betray me or you're planning to betray me, I want to say, remember this story. Remember this. Number three, where Jesus invites him to the table and puts him on the left-hand side. The left-hand side was the honored side. The left-hand side was for the best side. The left-hand side is for the place of love, the place of the treasured friend. It is where you put your best friend there. So he invites Judas... Even though he's aware of everything that's going on, he invites him to sit the closest possible position to him so that he can relate to him and be next to him. Now, why is Jesus doing this? I believe he's doing it to demonstrate that even in the greatest moments of betrayal, of pain, of agony, the love of God is constant and keeps moving and keeps demonstrating. And you cannot stop the love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Can't stop God's love. Come and sit next to me. Place of honor. Number three. Number four, I know that God's love is still reaching him because he, it is the one who takes the bread and dips it in. In the process of this meal, to be given the bread and to dip the bread in and to make this stand is... Is, is a sign of honor and love and great intimacy. Great intimacy. Number five, it links to Ruth chapter 2, verse 14. Do you remember this story? Ruth is a Gentile, she is a widow, she has no status, she has no place. She is a peasant. She is a vagrant. She is only there because of Naomi. She is of no value in Jewish culture. But Boaz, the great redeemer, sits right down next to her. And what does Boaz say? He looks at her and says, take my bread and dip it in here. The great act of love in scripture. The great moment where Boaz, the kingsman redeemer, looks at the, at the lost woman. The one who is orphaned. The one who is gleaning on the edges and all around. Who, who he reaches out with a profound act of love. When I think about the journey of Jesus towards the cross at these final moments. The relentless love of God is even reaching out to Judas. Demonstrating, showing, communicating, subtly, step by step. And the truth is this, friends. Jesus is always subtly 
completely, always reaching out, even to those who are making terrible decisions, even to those who are broken. He's reaching out to them. He gives the piece of bread, and when I have dipped it in the dish, then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. We read earlier in the chapter, when we read, is that Satan had already prompted Judas. And in between the prompting, we have Jesus demonstrating love for Judas. And at the end of this, somehow being so, so deceived, so full of lie, so full of his arrogance, so full of his own, whatever is going on in Judas's heart, and it's a difficult concept for us, he then decides to accept the bread as the honored person, accept the bread as the person that is that is that is being honored by Jesus he takes it he accepts it he dips it and then what happens satan enters him you see if you live a double life if you live with inconsistencies if you live a life of two standards if you're faking it to making it, at some point, the enemy will get a stronghold in a believer's life. And at some time, that stronghold will bring them down. And at some time, that will bear fruit that we do not want in a person's life. And that's why it's so important that we deal with our sin. That's why it's so important that we deal with the things that hold us back. That's why it's so important for a Christian to be open to God, to be honest, to be, to be transparent, to be transparent to the Father, to be transparent, to be, to be open, because God's always reaching out to every person. God's love is there. Now, you might be saying, hey, I know this, but this scares me a bit because I've had Judases in my life. I've been betrayed by people. I've been hurt by others. And, I, and it's, it's painful. Who here has not experienced a moment when you have been so deeply wounded by people around? And you're saying, but Jesus' love still loves, and I've got to still love these people. Yes, you and I are still called to be a people of love. But we are not called to be a doormat. We are still called to be a people of love, but we're not called to trust. Sometimes we forgive, but we can't trust because that person is unsafe and that person is dangerous. I might go for a walk with Michelle over, and I say this in set free sessions, over Mission Creek. And I love to go for walks, and we always walk. We have our, our little Monday fun day walk and go out over there. And some of you follow us, and you say, oh, it's so nice to see you doing that. And I take her for a walk, and as we're walking along the, you know, the, the Mission Way up on by the uh, canyon, and I'm walking along, and she's chatting to me, and I'm chatting, and then I get an urge within me, and I turn to her, and I push her down the bank. 
she breaks her arm. She goes, why did you do that? I'm sorry, darling. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm sorry. I'll never push you down again. She may forgive me, but she may never trust me to go on a walk again, right? By the way, that's an example that is made up and doesn't exist. <laughs> and if I do it again, she's really never going to trust me. She can forgive me, she doesn't trust me. And we all have people that have wounded us and hurt us, and we're sensitive about this. And here, but Jesus demonstrates a love. He demonstrates a love towards, to, to care, to love. And then Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what are you about to do? Do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Jesus had changed charge of the money, some thought that Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. He'd made his decision. Even though the relentless demonstration of Jesus' communication was love, he turned his back on God's love. How many of us know people that have done that? They've had a choice, but they've turned their back on God's great love. And when he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is to glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. There's a lightness certainly has entered into this. And then comes the demand. We had the demonstration of love, and now we have the demand of love. And he turns to them and says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Notice that he doesn't use the phrase, love your neighbor. Why does he not use the phrase, love your neighbor? Because Jewish society and Jewish orthodoxy had so watered down the phrase, love your neighbor, that they'd watered it down to actually love the people that are closest to you and love the people that you like and hate everybody else. We all love to be people that are like us, don't we? We all love the people. If you're into biking, like a biker on a Harley, I don't know, you love to hang out with bikers. True? If you're, if you're English, we do. We love to hang out with other English people so we can hate them too. Uh, we love, we love, to, love to hang out with people of our same class, our same money status, same car status, 
We love to hang out with people who will agree with us, who have the same theological view of us. We just love, our, and when it comes down to loving the neighbor, they had diluted it to let's love the people that agree with us and are like us, and let's forget the rest of the world. In fact, the Jewish culture that time was that they practically hated everybody else apart from who they hung out with. But Jesus takes away the word neighbor and turns it to one another. One another. Love one another. Care for one another. It's about the whole world. It's not about status. It's not about nationality. It's not about race. It's not about tribe. It's not whether you are slave or whether you are free. It's not whether you have the education or you do not have the education. It's not about all of those things because when we choose to love one another, we choose to love everybody in humanity because the radical love of Christ not only reaches to Judas but reaches to every color, every nation, every person, everybody in the world. God's love is relentless and reaches out to people. And that's why the Romans cried out, sorcery! It's got to be sorcery, these vile Christians. They're bewitched. They are sorcerous. They're incredible. This, this is ridiculous. How can this Christianity work? They are sorcerers. Why are they sorcerers? Because there are slaves and free men. There are citizens and Greeks and Egyptians and Syrians and barbarians. And there are people from Arabia and there are people from North Africa and there are people who are intellectual philosophers. All of these people are gathering around and they're worshipping this Jesus. How can it be? that these groups that hate each other now love each other. And the reason is, is because Jesus Christ demands of all of us that we live in love. And there comes a demand. You know, the Coke advert in the 1971 might have people all hanging on, holding hands together from every nation and singing that song. Do you remember that Coke advert? Of course you do. I, I would sing it, but that would ruin your lunch. And, but all holding hands, you know. But actually, it's only Jesus Christ that unites the world and holding hands, not Coca-Cola, by the way. And yet the Jewish nation was so narrow, was so tight, was so bigoted, was so prejudiced, was so inward-looking that they hated everybody else. And suddenly Jesus enters the Jewish world and the walls start falling down. And Jesus enters and starts to say, love one another. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We know about the commandment to love our neighbor, but Jesus ups the ante 
and says the love I'm talking about is sacrificial. The love I'm talking about is modeled on me. And the love, the way that I have loved, I want you to love. And the greatest gift the church can give to each other and to the world, and the greatest gift that we can give is to be a people of radical love. Even to the betrayers, even to those that hurt us, even to those that let us down, even to those that have in so many ways offended us and hurt us to the deepest point, to the point of being troubled, God calls us. And I don't know how I work this through, and I'm trying to live it out. And I'm asking every day to be baptized in love and to walk in love and to be expressed in love and connect with God the Father in love and to experience the love of God flowing through my heart. And it's such a beautiful journey and yet such a hard journey because human beings we are so full of frustration we're so full of resentment we're so full of bad narratives in our heads and to put a stop to all of that and give a great gift to the world which is the gift of these two scriptures a new commandment I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So look around. God has called us to love one another. And by this, the world is going to be radically changed. Wow. And I pray that in every one of our hearts... As we look at the, the pattern of this scripture, that every one of us will at least grapple with finding God's love in our lives in a way that we've never experienced it before. So our marriages are changed. The way we parent our children are changed. That the love of God consumes us and is with us. It's hard. It's so hard. And yet, so radical and revolutionary to love one another. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the end of this service, we are amazed by the five powerful moments of communication of love to Judas. The dipping of bread, the place of honor, the explanation of Psalm 41. The illustration of the bath. Lord, we know there's people in our own lives and in our own circles that are so far away from you, but we pray, God, that you will keep whispering to them. Keep talking to them. 
Those that are spiritual refugees like Ruth. That the Kingsman Redeemer would come and welcome them. And for this two-verse teaching on the commandment. To love one another. Help me and help my friends here. Lord, I pray that we would find a spiritual path to connect deeply with the love of God in our lives. That the love of God filling our hearts, the love that the Father has for the Son, that same love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father, Scripture teaches us, is within each of us. For Jesus himself is within you. So help us, Lord, to access the love of Jesus in our heart, I pray. Even to those who are very unlovable, Lord, the unlovable ones who really upset us and really hurt us. Help us to love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious or jealous. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It does not speak rudely of others. It dishonors them. Keeps no record of wrong. It does not delight when evil comes upon them, but rejoices in good and truth. Love always perseveres, always hopes, always trusts, and always protects. Lord, may we step in to that scripture like in a way that we have never done before in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.